Good morning. Thank you for joining us on 2XXFM's local current affairs program, Subject ACT. Today is Tuesday the 23rd of August. I'm Doug Dobing. Today on Subject ACT, we talk with Michael Moore about the harms associated with the harmful use of alcohol and good government stewardship taking on the role to make healthy choices the easy choice. And as recently elected President of the World Federation of Public Health Associations, Michael also talks about some of the work he plans to do over the next two years. You are listening to Subject ACT. Michael Moore is a health academic and former independent member of the Australian Capital Territory Legislative Assembly from 1989 to 2001. Michael is currently the co-chair for the National Alliance for Action on Alcohol, CEO for the Public Health Association of Australia and recently elected as the President of the World Federation of Public Health Associations. Good morning, Michael. Welcome to Subject ACT. It's good to be with you. Thanks, Doug. Now, Michael, can you tell us a bit about the National Alliance for Action on Alcohol and what do they do? The National Alliance for Action on Alcohol has about 65 members and we came together originally over the debate on Alcopops and felt that the government was being uh, had made a very sensible move and was under challenge from industry and we had to go, actually there is harm associated with alcohol and particularly in that case about young people and the targeting of industry of young people and the, that uh, we did need to try and assist the government and then decided actually we would form that alliance because we would then attempt to address the uh, harms associated with alcohol but we first had to work out what it was that we had in common because amongst our group, there were some people who basically believed in, by and large, the prohibition of alcohol, and there were ones who just wanted to deal with one or two specific issues, perhaps violence associated uh, with alcohol. And what we came down to was three major issues on how you reduce harm associated with alcohol, and it's about alcohol pricing and taxation, firstly. Secondly, about alcohol marketing and promotion. And thirdly, about alcohol availability. And of course, within those, we've got a range of things that we can, uh, that we can talk about. But that's actually the nutshell of the, uh, of the National Alliance for Action on Alcohol. And I'm a co-chair of that organisation with Dr John Crozier, who's a, uh, who's a surgeon out of Sydney. What are some of the concerns that you do have about alcohol-related harm? Well, I think there's a number of uh, concerns, and most of it, uh, and we do like to talk about harmful use of alcohol rather than saying alcohol is harmful per se. Mm. So we are concerned around harmful use of alcohol. The most obvious of those has been uh, addressed quite well and that's the association between alcohol and uh, motor vehicle accidents. And uh, that's been a really, really important issue that's been uh, addressed over the last 20 years, really. Just an aside, Doug, one of the Mm. great public health stories in Australia is the issue of motor-related, um, uh, we say morbidity and mortality, that's death and injury. Yes. Um, and the, um, what's, what's happened is that, first of all, we had seat belts, we've got those laws around drink driving, there's speeding laws, there's improvements on, road, on roads, there's um, uh, big improvements around the safety of cars themselves, you know, better brakes, airbags, things like that, um, better tyres. There's been a whole run of things that have been done to make motor vehicle um, transport uh, safer. And the impact is this, that Mm. we now have the same level of accidents and death 
injury and death as we had in the 1930s. And that's not per capita. It's not even per car or per kilometre driven. It's the same level. And I think that's a really great public health story. Can we do better? Probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, And so it's the same sort of thinking that we're applying to other harms associated uh, with, uh, with alcohol. So that's the, the car driving, but of course uh, the one that has been most apparent, you know, the one-punch hits, uh, the uh, um, violence that we've seen early morning uh, in, our, uh, in our cities in particular, the amount of alcohol-related violence that turns up in our emergency, uh, uh, emergency departments and what that costs the community as a whole. And the one that's much more hidden but is uh, just as pervasive is uh, the domestic violence, alcohol-related domestic violence. And uh, or often actually just uh, it's not that the alcohol necessarily causes the domestic mm. violence, but it certainly fuels it. Uh, and finally, the one I'd like to mention is fetal alcohol syndrome because disorder because this is the one where children grow up with a serious disability uh, because of the mother's uh, drinking, uh, uh, heavy drinking during uh, during pregnancy. In regards to the fetal alcohol syndrome, is there a safe level of consumption that a mother can consume while she is pregnant? The evidence is really showing that the safest way to deal with uh, a pregnancy is to not drink. That is really the safest way. Now, when the National Health and Medical Research Council looked at all the evidence, they framed it in terms of risk. What's the risk associated with using alcohol under a run of different circumstances? And they talked about absolute risk and they talked about relative risk and uh, and so forth. So uh, nobody wants to point the finger to somebody who became pregnant um, actually because they were drinking, because mm. they were drinking. Mm. Um, and uh, and look, I imagine there are many people who are professors today who uh, whose mother uh, wound up pregnant uh, thanks to a night out um, <laughs> with with the lover, husband, whichever. And so I think that we're not talking at that kind of level. But what we do know is that the safest way to avoid fetal damage is is to not drink. Is to abstain. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I have to say, in my own experience, by the way, long before I was involved in this, each time that my wife was pregnant and she decided not to drink, then I thought it was my responsibility as well to make it easy for her. So although I drank when she was not around, mm. um, that wasn't that often that we uh, would, the glass of wine that we have in the evenings now, um, quite regularly, then we just didn't, we just didn't drink. Uh, I think that men have a responsibility here as well to to play their role. Recently, the government's white paper in looking at liquor licensing laws talked about a third of the assaults in public places in the city happened between 3 and 6am and half of ambulance attendances in the city between 3 and 4am involve alcohol. Do you think there has been a growing amount of alcohol-related violence in in Canberra recently? I think most importantly we're identifying it mm. um, but there have been changes you know from when uh, I, I can actually I'm old enough to remember the end of the six o'clock uh, what we used to refer to as the six o'clock swill in South Australia where pubs would close at six o'clock uh, in the evening uh, and of course that was moved to ten o'clock and then by and large opened and and our liquor laws became more and more liberal Mm-hmm. The really interesting part is that when I was a member of the Legislative Assembly back between 1989 and 2001, um, I was also supportive 
of more and more liberal alcohol laws. You know, I looked at Italy and uh, places in the around the Mediterranean and said, look, mm. they have very, very liberal uh, alcohol laws, and yet they don't seem to have any of the uh, harm that uh, the people warn about. Uh, unfortunately, I just think I, it was one of the very few things I regret doing. So I think we just got it wrong. Is that because you've gained some insights or has there been better um, research in those countries to show they are having the same problems that we do have in regards to alcohol-related issues? No, I think actually those countries still are managing quite well. Mm. Uh, yes, they do have some um, of the same problems, of course, but nowhere near the extent here. I think it's actually one of those things where you try and extrapolate from one culture to another and it just doesn't work. There are other factors operating that have an impact here. Um, and I think that as we've got more and more liberal liquor laws, what we've seen is a great deal more consumption and with the increase in consumption, with the increase in harm. Now, the really interesting thing that's happening is now we are, seem to be having some reduction in consumption, uh, but we haven't seen the commensurate reduction in harm. So... Maybe those will follow, but particularly in the more obvious areas uh, like violence. And I think it's mm. as much associated uh, with how long things are open, the amount of alcohol that people drink in a given session, uh, and of course the amount of that people drink in a given session increases when the venues remain uh, open uh, for very, very long, uh, you know, right through the night, basically. Uh, and although I know that there's a whole run of Canberra business that have opposed the lockout laws and so forth, you certainly don't hear that reaction from the emergency physicians at the Canberra Hospital or Calvary Hospital. You don't hear it from the parents who've had to look after their children or partners of people who've had to look after those who've been bashed. So I think that we do have a serious issue. And the other group, of course, that's strongly in favour of restricting trading is the uh, is the police. From your experience too, as a Canberra politician, there's that part of having to balance between one group in community wanting more liberal liquor laws and another side to protect the harms. Did you want to just recap some of those wider impacts of alcohol-related harm? Yeah, so one of, some of the things I mentioned was violence uh, associated with it, and we talked about motor car-related uh, accidents as, uh, as well. Uh, we talked about fetal alcohol syndrome, but we should actually also keep in mind that excessive alcohol use is uh, associated with cardiovascular disease, associated with cancer, uh, it's associated with kidney disease. So the harm associated uh, with harmful use of alcohol is something that we really do need to take seriously. And when we take these things seriously, you know, I can almost hear some of your listeners going, oh, here he is, he's going on down the nanny state, down, going the nanny state role, he'll tell us what to do and when to do it. And I think that, that we have to keep in mind that for most of the things, and by the way, this is the same nanny state argument that people use with regard to seatbelts, uh, although they may know, not have framed it exactly that way. The reality is that individuals have a personal responsibility. That I agree with completely. But government also has a responsibility to set the parameters and the conditions in which uh, it's easier to make the uh, less harmful or the healthier choice. And, uh, and I think that uh, good government stewardship uh, requires that effort as well. And if you were in politics at the moment, what would be some of the things that you would like to see to reduce some of these harmful effects? Well, I think the most uh, important of them is uh, alcohol price. You know, uh, what we've seen is alcohol 
getting cheaper and cheaper. So if you go, if you purchase what my kids always refer to as goon bags or uh, those in cardboard boxes, plastic bladders uh, with wine on it, you know that that wine is often cheaper than water. Mm. And we know that some of the most harmful use of alcohol is amongst the cheapest ones. So well, the first thing I would do would be to seek a volumetric taxation on alcohol. So we're charging, no matter which sort of alcohol you're drinking, the taxation is the same based on the amount of alcohol that's actually been consumed. I think that would go quite a, a long way to go in there. And probably I would build in a floor price on alcohol. So you just can't buy any alcohol below you know, $2 a bottle, if you like, or, or it's a equivalent. Because we do know that from the international evidence that harm reduces very considerably when the price is right. But the second one, I think, is the association uh, between alcohol and sport. So it's the marketing of alcohol, how it's done. And uh, alcohol marketing is really very carefully targeted at some of the most healthy activities we've got. So, you know, you can't watch the rugby Mm. without having 4X across or, or, or the equivalent and every ad is either gambling or, or alcohol. And this, of course, exposes young people to alcohol at a, very, uh, at, a, at a very early age and saying that alcohol is normal associated with sport. Um, I think that sort of marketing is, ought to be challenged. You are listening to 2XXFM 98.3, celebrating 40 years of community radio in Canberra. Keep listening as Michael Moore, co-chair for the National Alliance for Action on Alcohol, CEO for the Public Health Association of Australia, and recently elected as president of the World Federation of Public Health Associations, talks more about reducing the harmful use of alcohol. You're listening to Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3, people-powered radio. Michael, you're talking about alcohol and sport. Steve Price in April this year wrote an article about alcohol sponsorship and sport. He's, he said this, Betting, drinking and smoking are still legal activities in Australia that many of us like to do. Parents need to make it clear to children as they grow up that doing any of these things to excess should be avoided. Now that sounds reasonable. It certainly does sound certainly does sound readable, reasonable. But uh, for me, you know, my first career was as a school teacher teaching uh, from year eight through to year twelve. I can't think of a faster way to get a young person to do something than to tell them not to do it until they're an adult. Um, and so uh, it comes back to that right, that correct balance. Steve has got part of the balance right in terms of that personal responsibility. But governments can play a really important role in making sure that the atmosphere is appropriate uh, so that uh, people are not inclined to spend so much of their money on alcohol gambling and uh, and uh, and certainly uh, and certainly smoking and you know smoking is a great example it's now quite difficult to smoke we look tend to look down on people who are smoking they've got to find a, a appropriate little spot so it's actually hard to smoke but what we haven't done so we haven't prohibited it. And I think that that would backfire on us seriously. So it's about governments taking on that role of what I call good government stewardship to not only make the healthier choice the easier choice, but to make the unhealthy choice that little bit more awkward. One part is it's education, educating people, but it's also protecting those who do have a weakness to that medium, if you want to say, of entertainment. 
like whether it's smoking or gambling or, or alcohol. And there are some mm. people who are particularly vulnerable, and we, we certainly know about addiction and, uh, mm. and the challenge there. So the more, the more we can intervene to make it a little bit harder, um, the less people who are going to uh, suffer. And certainly the people who get involved in gambling, it's not just themselves that suffer, it's the family. Mm. Those who uh, remain smoking, it's not just themselves that suffer, but, you know, the reality is that the rest of the community is going to pay the bills in terms of our uh, hospital uh, costs and so forth. We know that they're going to live 10 years shorter on average. We know that they're going to have a much, much higher risk of cardiovascular disease, cancer and uh, diabetes. So those sorts of issues... Um, I, I, we have to take into account that they also affect the community as a whole. Michael Moore now talks about marketing of alcohol associated with motor racing. Even probably more important, one we haven't quite got, is the marketing of alcohol associated with motor racing. Okay. Uh, yeah, I just find it. I just find it appalling. We've been really, really successful in separating alcohol and motor vehicles. Why would governments allow? Marketing on associated with uh, alcohol marketing associated with motor racing, uh, it just doesn't doesn't make. It's almost like that uh, neuro association, isn't it? Again, of it, alcohol it, and dr- yeah. so it is okay to drive with alcohol. Mm. And very very fast, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, you know, which is uh, really uh, silly. And of course, we also you know the alcohol marketing that's done. Uh, we've all seen the ones that you just can't help laughing at. I mean, these are really clever, funny ads. Uh, you know, when I go back to nanny state, mm. the government does have a choice and say, actually, if we want to have people making a reasonable and, uh, and fair choice themselves, then they should be getting reasonable information from both sides. This is, this is when alcohol is harmful. Uh, this is when it's fun. Of course, if we were to try and use our taxpayers' money to balance the amount of marketing that goes on in alcohol, uh, you know, our taxes would go through the roof. The alternative choice if government has, if they want ordinary people to be able to make a sensible choice mm. with, with information coming from both sides, is to restrict the uh, amount of marketing that's done by industry. And so that's what, if I was in politics, back in politics now, I'd certainly be seeking to do that at the same time as promoting some of the uh, issues around harmful use of uh, alcohol. And then the final thing is just how available it is, what we do know, from the evidence is that the more outlets, the more harmful use of alcohol within the, within the suburbs. And, you know, in my own suburban shopping centre, little tiny shopping centre, and here's uh, two alcohol outlets, you know, 20 metres from each other, we know this increases the harm. It also means that it's much more difficult to stop young people getting access to alcohol as, uh, as well. Keep listening for more on 2XXFM 98.3 People Powered Radio. As recently elected President of the World Federation of Public Health Associations, Michael now talks about some of the work he plans to do over the next two years. Congratulations that you've been made President of the World Federation of Public Health. Yeah, last month, uh, Doug, and uh, I was uh, in Geneva and uh, was very excited um, to be elected uh, to that position because we have got well over 100 public health associations around the world and we work very closely uh, with the World Health Organization, we're recognised as uh, one of their um, partner-style organisations, and uh, it's an opportunity to uh, look at uh, improving improving public health. And we're basing it around work we did with the w- with the WHO, the World Health Organization, uh, on how to improve health worldwide. What framework? And that framework has three 
fundamentals. This is uh, health promotion, protection and prevention because uh, we are those public health associations, that's the area we work rather than in treatment. Although, although of course, uh, prevention and health promotion also have a, a room after treatment. But then there's four enablers behind that and this is good governance, advocacy, capacity building and, in, and information so that people understand and I think that uh, for me it's really exciting that uh, we've been able to work in the couple of years that I was president-elect with the World Health Organization to get this ready. And that's and this is the work that I'll really be doing with the, with the World Federation over the next couple of years. So, Michael, will that mean that you'll be moving out of some of the other roles? Now, unfortunately, this is as well, okay. uh, Doug. And so <laughs> the, the, uh, the really interesting part for me is that I finish work, I get home, uh, you know, maybe I'm home at about 7 o'clock when our office in Geneva begins sending emails and so often I can deal with an hour or so after dinner I can deal with most of the issues there. And it does mean a, a number of trips overseas which is actually quite exciting as well to interesting places and to try and sell, to sell these messages and to get first of all the public health associations on side and then governments on side to put much more focus on promotion, protection, prevention than on fixing things up after they have occurred. It's a little like the old cliche of governments that keep sending the ambulance to the bottom of the cliff instead mm. of building a fence at the top. I mean, Michael, congratulations, because you, you do have a lot of insight from your education or your university teaching background mm. in health, in politics, and now moving onto a world stage. I mean, what a great, great opportunity for you personally, but also to represent Australia. Well, isn't it interesting there where we do ACT politics and I take over a uh, Australian-wide organisation, <laughs> then it's the world. Doug, how many more people uh, in the ACT do that sort of thing? In fact, actually, uh, I have almost a predecessor in this, that Michael Sparks, who was at the University of Canberra, has just recently stepped down as the president of the International U- uh, Union of Health Promotion Associations. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Mukesh Hikawell uh, um, from Melbourne was the uh, president of the World Medical Association. So, uh, and Michael Kidd, uh, family doctors uh, across the world, he's from Adelaide. So, actually, I think uh, Australia does have quite a significant influence on, uh, on health around the world, and it's really exciting to be part of it. Is there anything else that you'd like to share today? Oh, look, I just uh, think I'm very fortunate to be the CEO of the Public Health Association of Australia and the sorts of things we, we're talking about uh, here is, uh, is the same sorts of things that we try and do in Australia to get to do advocacy work, to get governments to take on their proper role in good government stewardship and to make sure that the healthy choice is the easy choice. And really that's the work mm. in a nutshell that, that we do. And I just think I'm very fortunate to uh, be able to do that kind of work and I, uh, and I love it. Michael, thank you for joining us on Subject ACT. My pleasure, Doug.
Stay tuned for more on 2XXFM 98.3 People Powered Radio, celebrating 40 years of community radio in Canberra. To listen to this program again or previously aired Subject ACT programs, please like or join our Subject ACT Facebook page and follow the links to the SoundCloud site or visit soundcloud.com forward slash Subject ACT. Join us tomorrow morning at 8.30 on Subject ACT for more news and current affairs with Carolina, Patrick and Jeff. Coming up next on 2XX at 9 o'clock is Radio Landcare. Thank you for listening to Subject ACT. I'm Doug Dobing. Have a great day. Subject ACT.